Welcome to another episode of This Week in Crypto. My name is Singh, and this week's episode is for February 24th, 2018. In episode 8, we will take a look at how the states are progressively looking at implementing blockchain technology, the banking sector, and the news on how banks are in survival mode. Some big news in the exchanges this week, global crypto news, and then we'll sit back a bit and evaluate what we can do this year to make it a great year for us in crypto. All this and more in this week's episode of This Week in Crypto. Hey guys, you might have noticed that we decided to record this podcast later than Friday. That's because we're shifting the podcast over to the weekend. This will give us some time to finish off the week and get all the last minute news from that week to you. We'll be recording on Saturdays and releasing the podcast on Sunday evenings as our new schedule. So hit the subscribe button below and don't forget to click the bell icon so you get the notifications when a new video or podcast is released on this channel. Uh, If you want, give us a thumbs up. It doesn't really do anything for the channel, but it keeps us motivated to keep making good content for you guys. To get our ICO reviews, technical analysis, and the 101 in responsible crypto investing, join the members section over at CryptoCoinGuru.net. Now that that's out of the way, let's get started by taking a quick look at what's going on stateside. We're going to start taking a look over here at the U.S. because, well, guys, the podcast is being recorded here in the U.S. So here, the topic of gun control has become a hot topic once again due to the recent school shooting in Florida. As experts from both sides of the issue argue back and forth, a new wrinkle has basically emerged, and you and I know what that is. It's uh, blockchain technology. A professor of public health at Washington State University proposed using the blockchain to basically help address the issue. Thomas Heston proposed the idea of using blockchain to create a database which would track firearm information. In a paper, Heston writes that people who own a gun can upload their information to an electronic gun safe. Now this data would be tied to the individual's biometric data, like their fingerprint. The details haven't been worked out completely, and by the sounds of it, the information would have to be uploaded by the gun owner, which poses another question of if gun owners would participate due to privacy issues. But that's a separate issue on its own. The blockchain-based database would then be used to track the creation and sale of guns, and the data would be instantly verifiable. Now, Heston says that this approach would protect the information of gun owners from being hacked and reduce gun-related injuries. Another benefit would be that it would boost the accuracy of background checks. Anyone listening to this can agree to one thing, and that is that the loss of life of children in a school demands that some sort of change needs to take place. I'm not going to open up the Pandora's box of starting a debate on gun control on this podcast, but something has to be done to keep our children safe from these heinous shootings that we keep seeing time and time again in schools. I don't know what that is, but maybe blockchain can help us decrease these events. The one thing I realized while reading about this recent tragedy, and honestly, my heart goes out to the entire community that had to endure this, but I realized that the gun choice for most of these shootings was the AR-15, at least in the last five or more cases. That has to tell us something. The reason I bring this up 
is because we have candidates. And one in particular who decided it would be a bright idea to raffle off an AR-15. Now there's stupid, and then there's ridiculously stupid. I'll let you decide what this falls under. If you're wondering who this is, well, he's the Republican Senate candidate for Missouri. But before we get too far off topic, there is a connection to crypto. The Republican we're talking about here, Austin Peterson, is looking for a Senate seat in Missouri, and he's accepting Bitcoin donations to get there. Peterson was the runner-up back in 2016 for the Libertarian Party's nomination for the U.S. presidency. The Missouri candidate is well known throughout younger crowds for loving Bitcoin and, like I said before, giving away an AR-15 rifle in a raffle. So this week in the Federal Election Commission's records, it was revealed that Peterson received the largest digital currency donation in U.S. history, which is 0.284 Bitcoin or $4,500 in USD, which was calculated at the time of the donation. And since cryptocurrency is very volatile and prices change drastically. Peterson has also garnered 24 total election contributions in Bitcoin, and his campaign uses the Atlanta-based processor BitPay to facilitate these donations. When asked about recent Bitcoin donation, Jeff Carson, the campaign manager, stated the following on ABC News, and I'm going to quote this. I think it goes without saying we're going to see a lot more of this in terms of campaign contributions and campaign financing. Austin is personally a fan of competition in the marketplace, even when it comes to our currency. With the rise of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, it was a no-brainer. Now, this isn't the first time a politician has accepted Bitcoin donations. Back in 2014 in Colorado, Democrat Jared Polis received Bitcoin in his campaign. The libertarian-leaning Republican senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul, has also been known to accept crypto for his presidential run in 2016. This will become a growing trend in the coming elections due to the growing popularity and interest in cryptocurrencies. And since it offers another avenue for campaign funds to come in, why wouldn't this too be added to the many ways of accepting funding for a politician? As a matter of fact, as campaign funding increases adopting crypto as a form of contributions, it will only validate cryptocurrency and create trust in the general population. So yes, the banks should understand that if they don't start incorporating this technology and working with their customers and allowing for them to invest in this space as easily as possible, they may feel some backlash by customers leaving their institutions for crypto banking. Along with the growing interest and exposure of cryptocurrencies, we're seeing an even faster adoption of blockchain technology at the state level compared to that of the federal level. There have been a number of crypto-friendly bills that have been introduced, and some of these have received approval in committees and houses of Senate legislators. And what's really surprising is that you wouldn't expect the states leading this charge as being those like Arizona, Tennessee, and Wyoming as the actual backbone of a great nation's economy, or in this case, pioneers of its future development. Now, for some time, legislators in the Grand Canyon state have been thinking how to facilitate residents receiving incomes and profits in crypto. If Bitcoin is good for ordinary citizens and businesses, it should be good enough for the state as well. Last week, Arizona got closer to accepting cryptos for taxation purposes. There have been two bills that uh, we've been watching, SB 1091 and SB 1145, which are 
aimed at regulating tax payments with digital currency. SB 1091 is being sponsored by four Republican lawmakers, which was endorsed by the Senate earlier this month after passing the Finance Committee in January. If the bill becomes adopted by the House in Arizona, that means that Arizona will become the first U.S. state to accept taxes in cryptocurrencies in the near future. That's going to be revolutionary. It's also very important to note that a similar bill was voted down in New Hampshire two years ago with concerns that the state would have to be responsible for converting the cryptos in a volatile market. Keeping this very critical problem in mind, a Republican, Eric Schlein, explained that there would be no cost and no risk to the state as conversions could be made automatic. Arizona isn't stopping there. They have another law that is being drafted, HB 2601, which is expected to regulate crowdfunding through initial coin offerings. This bill is scheduled for a first reading in the House of Representatives sometime in June, and the second reading should take place sometime in July. This bill would also be represented by Jeff Weiniger, a Republican as well, who is also among the authors of the tax amendment. He recently stated on Fox that Arizona state legislators want to send a signal to everyone in the United States that Arizona is going to be the place to be for digital currency technology. There are other states like Tennessee who are also looking at legalizing cryptocurrencies and crypto payments. And they too have seen a proposal cross their desks that have come through as a bill that would officially recognize cryptocurrency financial transactions and smart contracts in their state. The Tennessee bill would also be a little bit different because it would also protect the ownership rights of information secured on this blockchain. The bill is being sponsored by Democratic Representative Jason Powell, and he went on to tell the Tennessean, which is a newspaper in Tennessee, that it's really important to say that Tennessee is supportive. Interestingly, Local authorities have already indicated that money transmitter licenses will not be required to trade cryptocurrencies in Tennessee. And then there's Wyoming, which is also looking at becoming a crypto-friendly jurisdiction, and it's already taking some really fast steps to improve its attractiveness for startups from the blockchain sector. They've proposed several drafts of legislature of one bill, being Bill 0070, or as I like to call it, Bill 007, which calls for a person who develops, sells, or facilitates the exchange of an open blockchain token not to be subjected to specified securities laws. Now, considering that that specific token can be exchanged for goods and services. This bill would also exempt exchanges from regulations that are mandatory for brokers and dealers, while creating exemptions for crypto traders and transactions as well under the drafted amendment that already exists to the Money Transmitter Act of that state. Now, these are just some of the states that have been working on creating a positive relationship with the blockchain community. Other states like Kansas and New Hampshire, uh, they've already passed bills with crypto related to exemptions in their money transmitter regulations. Texas doesn't require companies to be licensed when offering custodial exchange services to in-state customers, while Montana has no money transmission laws to begin with. Nevada has come forward and promised to create favorable conditions for startups working with blockchain technologies. And well, you already know about Illinois being a pro-tech state, which is looking to maximize by finding ways to use blockchain to decrease the state deficit. On a personal note, I'm extremely excited to watch states incorporate cryptos and blockchain technology because it's individual states that are going to start this revolution, and they're going to start to evolve as we see that federal regulations tend to also mimic what the states are doing. And this is not something new. It's It always goes to say that the states usually start the momentum and then the federal government follows in. It may not be too far in the future that we start to see even more favorable legislation being proposed at the federal level. Again, 
This is probably another reason so many banks and companies are trying to get on the blockchain bandwagon due to a fear of being left behind. To buy a little bit more of time, they keep spreading fear to slow integration of this technology into the mass population. Now, these signs alone allow me to personally believe that we're not only onto something new, but a technology that's going to really change and revolutionize, as well as allow us to streamline our processes that are already in play, helping us save money, energy, and time. Oregon is another state that is looking at accommodating blockchain technology. As of now, crypto miners are retracing the Oregon Trail, so to speak, not for land or gold, but for cheap and reliable electricity. Portland General Electric says that the largest mining operation in the state is called Oregon Mine. Apparently, there are 12 more mining operations in the state alone. However, Robert McCullough of PGE isn't too impressed by the mining movement taking over Oregon. The reason for all the mining companies is because Oregon has the Columbia River and its hydropower system. The hydropowered electricity costs about three to four cents per kilowatt hour, a price that's extremely cheaper than most of the states in the United States. Thurber believes that the area is great for mining and thinks cryptocurrency mining operations will continue to grow and thrive in the state of Oregon. Now take a wild guess at how much Oregon Mine's monthly power bill is. Roughly $75,000. Yikes. And finally, the state of California has introduced a new bill that's aiming to recognize blockchain transactions, digital signatures, and smart contracts as a legal form of record. Assemblyman Ian Cauldron introduced Assembly Bill 2658 on February 20th in order to redefine laws that apply to electronic records that take place within the state. The California State Assembly Bill will have to be approved by the other state lawmakers alongside Governor Jerry Brown's signature in order for it to become law. Cauldron's proposal aims to define blockchain storage recorded by blockchain technology as well. However, U.S. agencies can suspend a business licensee that provides electronic records if they fail to comply with a certain section of the U.S. money transmission laws in California. California's State Assembly Bill is very similar to the bills introduced in Arizona, Vermont, and Florida. These three states also have lawmakers proposing new definitions and laws that recognize blockchain transactions, digital signatures, and smart contracts. If Assembly Bill 2658 pushes through California's legislature and Governor Jerry Brown's desk, then the law will stay in place until January 1st of 2021. And you can bet that other states will also follow suit very, very quickly. Moving on to banking news. In an annual filing to the Security and Exchange Commission, America's second largest bank has expressed fears over cryptocurrency's potential to undermine the control of major banks. In the filing, Bank of America wrote that the widespread adoption of new technologies, including internet services, cryptocurrencies, and payment systems could require substantial expenditures to modify or adapt their existing products and services. They also went on to note that cryptos could present serious challenges in tracking funds, and they may make it less easy in complying with regulations. Because of this mindset, Bank of America joined the Club of Banks, which was preventing customers from using credit cards to buy cryptos while chanting a false mantra that it's just our view that customers should be careful here. This is ironic, considering that last week, Visa caused a major error, which duplicated Coinbase customers' purchases, and the orders drained a lot of the customers' bank accounts to dangerous levels. Bank of America has a right to be afraid. The ETF industry veteran and Bitwise exec Matt Hogan recently told Bloomberg Markets that cryptocurrency could see an accumulated market capitalization of 
Get this, guys. $1 trillion by the end of the year. It should start to make sense now why the banks have been trying to scare the general public out of investing into cryptocurrencies. Now, they want to remain as the gatekeepers of our money. So how is this possible if the middleman becomes unnecessary? With the fear of losing traction in the financial realm, Bank of America has kept busy trying to get ahead of the threat in many ways. Bitcoin's Genesis block was mined nine years ago, and since then, over 2,000 related patents have been filed. We'll go ahead and put the link in the show notes so you can take a look for yourself. In the cryptocurrency's early years, the number of patents was low, barely under 50 patents a year. But by 2015, that rose significantly. And in about 2016, it had grown exponentially. Some of the companies whose names featured in the top 10 are to be expected, like Bitflyer and IBM, whose interest in blockchain is well-documented and known. The computing giant has filed a total of 34 cryptocurrency-related patents, but it's outpaced by South Korean brokerage Coinplug, which is third on the list with 29 total patents. Some of the patent holders on the list, though, are names that are completely unexpected, either because they have publicly expressed little interest in cryptos or they're not commonly associated with cutting edge technology. It makes sense that MasterCard would have an interest in digital payment systems, for example, but it's still surprising to see them ranked ninth for cryptocurrency related patents with 21 filings. The biggest surprise of all of this is the holder of the top spot on the list, which is claimed by guess who guys? That's right, Bank of America with no less than 45 patents. Last year, a total of 1,250 cryptocurrency patents were filed. Now, this demonstrated the extent to which corporations have finally realized and caught on to Bitcoin's huge potential. Now, the story becomes clear. We're being fed a narrative by financial institutions that cryptos will fail or cryptos aren't going to be anything more than a bubble. But Patents are being filed left and right in the attempt to get ahead of the customer and control the narrative. It seems that the story doesn't change at all. As a matter of fact, each week we find out more information as to how willing banks and financial institutions are to mislead us while they go on researching, filing patents, until it's too late to get ahead of the banks. Now, a part of me can't really blame the banks and the institutions that are doing this because it's in their nature. Every animal has a need for self-preservation. In this case, the animal is the existing financial institutions. Because of this, I'm starting to believe more and more that cryptocurrencies may not change the financial stage as we once thought they would in 2017 and earlier. As I continue to read the news, look into what's going on, and do my own research, I feel that there's a need to reevaluate the data. Now, any good scientist will, t will tell you that you have to take the new data set and try to understand it, not just throw it out because it doesn't fit your theory or hypothesis in this case. Watching and listening to how things are unfolding this year, I'm starting to reevaluate and understand the new data points. And the more I do this, the more I understand that fiat and banks are probably not going to be replaced like the purest thought on cryptos once thought. I honestly believe that blockchain is here to stay, but the technology will be used to solve problems that already exist today, but in a different capacity. We'll see banks and companies using blockchain to solve problems and making things more fluid within their current ecosystem that we have, such as transferring money from one country to the next. Uh, companies are going to start using this tech to make faster and more reliable processes, saving them time and money, while banks will use blockchain in a similar capacity as well. So that means that we need to maybe shift our idea of cryptocurrencies as a replacement to the system and look at it as multiple fixes to the current system in play. This shift in thought processes will also shift our investing strategy a bit. We'll need to stop looking at the hype of a coin and focus more and more on the actual solution the coin or blockchain technology solves. This becomes extremely apparent as we move further into looking at how nefarious some institutions are and how hard they will fight 
this change. Now, this week we found out that Polish financial authorities have spent taxpayers' money on a smear campaign on YouTube and Facebook. Against what? Against investing in cryptocurrencies. While issuing warnings or trying to educate the public against what regulators fear are risky investments. Now, this is something we found very common throughout the world that banks have been doing. But in this case, it's a little bit different. They actually tried to sway public opinion against crypto assets and crypto investing by paying social media influencers to attack cryptocurrencies and the idea of even investing in them. So this will go ahead and show you how far these banks are willing to go to keep the status quo where it is. Moving on to the news in exchanges, the San Francisco-based cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase has developed a new service that aims to simplify for merchants the adoption of multiple cryptos as payments. So Coinbase Commerce facilitates the acceptance of cryptocurrencies by monitoring, validating, and confirming client transactions on each blockchain. And the company says that payments made from its customers are performed on the chain. After a quiet soft launch and test period, Coinbase Commerce has made it available to all the merchants globally. Online retailers everywhere can now use the service to accept Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and Litecoin payments. And it will enable merchants to accept multiple cryptos directly into a user-controlled wallet without the need for hosted services. So the developers of Coinbase Commerce say that it can be directly integrated into a merchant's checkout flow or added as a payment option as an e-commerce platform such as tagging it into Shopify and hopefully in the near future, WooCommerce. While the service can be most easily explained to non-savvy crypto or people who aren't in the crypto sphere uh, as a PayPal checkout for Bitcoin, it's actually more of a competitor to the largest Bitcoin payment processor in the world today, BitPay. Uh, you and I may already know that BitPay is a service provider based in Atlanta, Georgia, and has been the dominant player in the sector for a while now. But Coinbase, whose revenue exceeded $1 billion last year, might be just in the right place and best fit to challenge BitPay. So last week, if you guys remember, we spoke about how Coinbase was in the process of integrating the SegWit protocol. This week, not only Coinbase, but get this, Bitfinex, along with Coinbase, have simultaneously announced their support for segregated witness SegWit protocols. Now, the launch promises Bitcoin investors faster transaction times and lower transaction fees, which we spoke about. What's interesting is, is those fees have recently dropped from over $35 to less than $1. Let's keep in mind, Bitfinex noted in the announcement that SegWit is now implemented for Bitcoin only and not for Bitcoin Cash. Guys, this is very, very important. And it's an important distinction because if you are going to send your Bitcoin Cash to Bitfinex or a Bitfinex SegWit address, it will be lost. So Bitfinex and Coinbase together with Coinbase's GDAX exchange account for almost 10% of all international Bitcoin trades, with both platforms ranking in the top 10 exchanges worldwide. Although many wallet solutions already support SegWit, the integration of the solution of the two of the biggest industry players is likely to spark increased adoption of, of the workaround. The only thing is that SegWit adoption isn't the only factor driving down Bitcoin transaction costs. A reduction in user activity has also been noted recently, and that too can be the cause of Bitcoin transaction fees dropping significantly. All right, guys, let's move on to some global news. So Venezuela's president, Maduro, has ordered government services to accept cryptocurrencies as a means of payment. The announcement was broadcasted to the whole nation from the Miraflores Palace, as it usually does. Now, 
On top of this, if one national cryptocurrency wasn't enough, a second one may be beginning to develop. Apparently, the government will launch the Petro Gold that will work side by side with the Petro. And reading this, I came to the understanding that President Maduro is forcing all exchange for petroleum to be made in Petro, which is going to be interesting because he's forcing the hand in the use of cryptocurrency, as well as making sure that tourists are incentivized to use the Petro when they come to visit as well. On more news, the deputy chair of Turkey's National Movement Party, MHP, has written a 22-page report seeking to highlight the regulatory vacuum that presently exists in Turkey pertaining to the cryptocurrencies. Now, the report also makes a number of policy recommendations for, de for the development of a regulatory framework for what? Virtual currencies, including advocating that Turkey develop a national cryptocurrency as well. Moving on to South Korea. Well, the director of the South Korean Financial Supervisory Service has announced that the government will support quote-unquote normal transactions of cryptocurrencies, acknowledging that most crypto exchanges are having problems obtaining virtual accounts. He promises to encourage banks to work with them. Now, this is interesting, especially coming out of South Korea, where we had all this FUD going on. Now on to Israel. An Israeli company that was created in January has gotten its business rejected by all of the banks in the country. And now it's looking to sue them. Because without a bank account, an Israeli exchange would not be able to legally receive fiat transfers from clients effectively and thus preventing it from starting operations. Uh, this is really interesting that an exchange has now taken the banks to court in Israel. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on this week in Israel. So, for instance, Israeli tax authority has um, taken a position and expressed that uh, in the past and now as well again that Bitcoin is a property, not a currency. So the Israeli agency clarified up front, and Israel is the economic jewel of the Southwest Asia. So routinely ranking alongside countries, many, many multiples its size, and in terms of innovation and output as well. So punching above its weight in crypto as well, the country has grappled with Bitcoin since 2013 or so, in one form or another. Openness to the decentralized currency idea extends all the way to its current prime minister. Its tax policy might not be only a regional trendsetter, but it might be something that the world catches on to. Now, as we move on to Malta, the government of Malta has come up with an idea that, that businesses dealing with cryptocurrencies could find interesting. A new policy document seeks to set up a special agency which will clarify blockchain platforms and verify crypto transactions. It is supposed to bring peace of mind to companies using these technologies to cut out central authorities and banks. So Valletta also proposes legislation that will define the roles of intermediaries and intermediates and regulate initial coin offerings as well. So we can see on a on a global level, a lot of countries are already diving into this crypto um, blockchain technology forefront. Armenia is also setting up to follow in the footsteps of countries like Belarus in regards to crypto regulation. They just proposed legislation providing the basis for legalizing the regulation of cryptocurrency mining in the country. Tax exemptions and other in, uh, incentives are also being offered to miners. If the draft law is adopted, businesses are going to be able to operate mining facilities without any licensing, and this will indirectly legalize cryptocurrency transactions. And on another front, Bitcoin has been found in the middle of a very interesting dispute. It's, it's found its way into the rabbinical court in Israel 
as a part of a part of a divorce uh, proceeding. So a rabbinical court in Israel is now facing a Bitcoin-related quandary uh, for what appears to be the first time ever the religious tribunal is asked to rule on crypto in a manner of a specific divorce. What it is is an Israeli couple, and they were identified as a top female banker, and the husband was a male executive at an investment firm, both in their early 30s, just got married three months ago. In the Jewish wedding ceremony, the groom has to commit to pay a certain amount of compensation to the bride in case of a divorce. Now, it's recommended that people will write a symbolic sum that they can afford because it comes to that they'll be obligated to pay in parallel some other form of payment through the courts like alimony or something of that sort. However, in this case, they decided on 30 Bitcoin worth about 2 million shekels at the time. Now, the woman testified that despite some guests doubting the gesture, uh, they thought it was cool. And in the old days, they talked about 50 camels and a dozen silver coins, blah, blah, blah. And today, they were talking about Bitcoin. So in those terms, they, they, they thought this would be kind of a fun, cool thing to do. This week, the wife turned to the rabbinical court asking for her divorce compensation in the, in the forms of 2 million shekels. The husband agreed to pay. So what's the problem? He's willing to pay only according to the exchange rate at the time of the divorce, which is much closer to 1 million shekels than at the time of the wedding, which was 2 million shekels. Uh, it's really interesting because there's a similar case going on in the UK as well as we speak. As we move on, the Japanese crypto investors flee capital gains taxation. The Japanese are freaking out, and a lot of, a lot of them are actually trying to find other places and moving because if you think paying US taxes on crypto is bad, I'd think twice. The Japanese are fleeing capital gains tax, and in their country, it's about up to 55%. Their tax season runs from February 16th to March 15th, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a ton of fluctuations in the market prices because of all their, all this tax chaos that's going on. Now, I'm actually willing and waiting for U.S. taxes to be filed, which is sometime in, in mid-April, uh, before I think we'll see some decent headway in the crypto markets back in the positive side. So until then, guys, just hang tight, sit back, relax. Uh, things are going on, and just don't believe, don't believe the banks. It's crashing, it's a bubble, blah, 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 all that crap. Guys, I really wanted to spend some time and talk to you guys about where our focus needs to be now that we're in 2018 in, in our next phase in investing. We can't continue to go on hype. In 2016 and 2017, and even in 2013, 14, and 15, we were able to kind of just throw our money into the market, into whatever coin possible, and we saw a hype being built. And with that hype, we saw 100% gains or 200%, 10x, you know, 15x, whatever the case may be. That's going to be less and less likely now. Uh, for one reason, the market is getting saturated with a lot of ICOs, and for the most part, a lot of these ICOs are going to fail, not because their concepts are bad and not because they don't have an idea or a vision. It's because they haven't come out with a product. And what we really should be focusing on at this point in 2018 is where are these ICOs on building their product? We know your vision. How far have you come along in making that vision a reality? And that's where 2018 is going to lead us. So we have to switch gears. We have to start thinking from a perspective of product and what that vision has, how that vision has come to fruition. And guys, if you're looking at really investing wisely, you're going to have to sit back 
and look at two things. First, we're going to have to see, is there a product? And of that product, is it a useful product that solves a current problem? So we can make a product like CryptoKitties. It's a game. Who cares? Yes, it's great that we're using the Ethereum network and Ether is being used back and forth to make these cats. But does it really solve a world problem or a US problem or a statewide problem? If not, then you can be sure that that investment will start to see a depreciation as months go by or as the years go by. So if you really want to get into a good point or a good, I guess, get a hedge a good position, those are the two things that we're going to need to really sit back and focus on. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, you can learn the basics in Crypto 101 over at CryptoCoinGuru.net. Um, I do a bunch of ICO reviews and we do have some altcoin reviews that we do. Uh, those will also be posted up there. So we're going to be focusing from a perspective of not vision, but rather product and what products are put out there already and what products and as well as the roadmap. What is the roadmap? Other than that, you know, technical analysis. If you don't understand technical analysis, this is a great place. CryptoCoinGuru.net. We break it down. The TA is broken down basically to the average uh, everyday language rather than you know, rather than these these obscure words that you may not know what's going on with uh, double top, double bottom, uh, who cares? We're going to kind of show you what that means. And not only that, uh, like I said, Crypto 101, the ICO and altcoin review, technical analysis. Uh, these are just a few of the things that uh, we're doing trying to make your life easier so you don't have to go out and do the research, so you don't have to go out and spend hours and hours and hours on and you can focus more on investing. Guys, remember, the more educated you become in this sphere, in this aspect of your investment, the more powerful you become in making those proper investing decisions uh, without a middleman or an intermediary. Okay, so if you are a CCG member, great. If you're not, join. You will benefit. Other than that, guys, share the podcast, hit subscribe, hit the little bell so you can be updated and notified whenever we put something out. Episode 8 is in the can. And this is Singh for CCG. Crypto Coin Group, signing out.